So our reading this evening is um, on one, one pe page 1,158. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 12. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1,158. <coughs> Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom but according to God's grace. For we do not, not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you, first so you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you spend, send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, I did not do it lightly, nor do I make my plans in a worldly manner, so that in some same breath I say, yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has, has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of dis great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment afflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. 
The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Let me uh, pray for us as we start, and as the musicians take their seats as well. Father God, we thank you that we can meet here together as your church, as family and friends. Help us now to quieten the many voices that we have in our busy lives and to tune in to your word and what you have to say to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Your friend says they'll meet you at Costa in town for a long overdue good catch-up. And you get there, and you're really looking forward to it, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait a little bit more, and, well, they never show up. Half an hour later, they text you saying they can't make it. Have you ever been let down by someone? Have you ever felt disappointed in someone? More seriously than flat whites and flaky friends. Perhaps it's a lie. Something hidden from you by someone you know and you love. You've been open and honest with them. Why haven't they treated you in the same way? Or a harsh word. Something that was said which really hurt you, your mum or your dad that made that promise to you and yet at the end of the day they let you down again. Your friend who said they could be trusted when you told them that thing in confidence only to start gossiping about you behind your back. In a world full of abuse, affairs, divorce, broken friendships and divided families, you don't have to look back far, do you? to think of a time when you felt like someone let you down. And after we've been let down, we, can, we find it really hard to put our trust in that person again, don't we? We find it hard to trust that person in the same way ever again. How can I trust them after they've done that to me? Will it ever be the same as it was? Well, hold on to that feeling that sense of distrust and hurt, because that's exactly how the Corinthians are feeling in our passage this evening. Come back with me to the port city of Corinth. The group of Christians there, the church, had been told by Paul that he would visit them again. Have a look at verse 16, chapter 1. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Those were Paul's travel plans, but they change. He will no longer go through Corinth on his return journey. And the Corinthians are left feeling hurt, confused, and disappointed. They feel really let down. Try and put yourself in their shoes. I know we're still in September, I know many of you won't want to think about this, but think ahead to Christmas. And imagine it's uh, one of your children who's been away at university or perhaps lives somewhere else, and they're due to come home that Christmas. 
due to come home for the Christmas season. You're really, really looking forward to it, eager to catch up with them. You're awaiting their arrival, awaiting to speak to them and exchange presents. It's going to be such a good time. But then the call comes through, and they tell you that they're not coming after all. That's where the Corinthians are at, at this point in time. That's how they're feeling. But if that wasn't enough, those feelings are on top of already divided and fractured relationship between the church and Paul. The, the apostle had, had to travel to them previously to deal with a particular issue that had arisen in the church. Paul himself describes this as a painful visit. The situation is not fully resolved, and there is ongoing tension between the two parties. And so the Corinthians, after hearing this news, with everything else that had already gone on, find themselves regarding Paul as a double-minded man, unable to stick to his plans. They see Paul as unreliable, untrustworthy, and quite frankly, a bit of a disappointment. And perhaps you're here this evening, and you can relate to that. Maybe that's how you feel in regards to this letter, in regards to Paul, in regards to his teachings. I had a good friend uh, in the Christian Union that I was a part of whilst I was a student at uni, and they would often tell me, I love Jesus, I love his teachings, his principles, but Paul, I can't stand Paul. I love Jesus' message of forgiveness and acceptance, but I don't like Paul's narrow-minded message of intolerance. Paul, the misogynist. Paul, the homophobe. And as we read his letters and as we hear his teaching and preaching from his writings, we, like the Corinthians, might see Paul as a bit of a disappointment. In such a progressive society, can we still hold on to such antiquated views? whether it's in the office, at the school gates, in the classroom, or in the lecture theatre, or simply by ourselves as we read our Bibles, we can sometimes find ourselves feeling a little let down by Paul. As a Christian, do I really want to associate myself with this guy and his culturally out-of-place teachings? So this isn't a sermon about how church leaders must always defend their travel arrangements. Tim will discuss uh, the uh, holiday to Tenerife later. It's not a sermon on how we should be exactly like Paul, although there's a lot that we can learn from his example. The big question for the Corinthians and for us now is, can we trust Paul? Is the apostle trustworthy? Our passage this evening is Paul's response to that question. It's his defence. But it's really important to note as we start off that Paul isn't defending himself as an individual, but as an apostle who stands for the gospel. The Corinthian church at this time was threatening to abandon the seemingly weak, disappointing Paul and follow the more impressive-looking super-apostles, teacher, uh, teachers who have come into the Corinthian church and who are opposed to Paul. But this isn't some top trumps card comparison, Paul versus the super apostles, who has the better stats. This matters. This matters because the gospel that Paul brought them is the real gospel, the real deal. 
To leave Paul behind is to leave Paul's ministry behind, which is to leave the gospel behind, which is to leave Jesus behind. So the stakes really are high this evening. And as we come to our passage, which would be great if you could have open in front of you, we see four reasons why we can really trust Paul, trust his message, and why we can ultimately trust God and his word. Firstly then, we see a sincere boast worth trusting. I imagine many of you have written a CV. Perhaps you've done that quite recently. And when you're writing uh, a CV, uh, it can be really hard to know what to say, can't it? Our natural Britishness means that we don't really like to boast about ourselves. We quite dislike people who blow their own trumpets. But to get employed in this day and age, you have to big yourself up in some way. Maybe you might say something like this. These are real CVs that actual employers have had to read. Key skills. I have extensive experience with foreign accents. (laughs) Maybe you go for that one. Profile. I would like to assure you that I am a hardly working person. Probably good to have a good read of your CV before you send it off. Skills and abilities. I am a rabid typist. Maybe that's how Hannah got her job in the office. (laughs) Joking aside, when we write our CVs, we have to boast in something, don't we? We have to big ourselves up in some way. But for Paul here, he takes a slightly different approach. As he writes, he also boasts in something, but rather than his touch typing skills, Paul's boast is in his holiness and sincerity. The key difference between Paul's boasting and our boasting is that we look to glorify ourselves. Look at how great I am at this. But with Paul, it always comes back to God. Have a look at verse 12. Paul is defending himself and the gospel. He preaches uh, by saying that he has conducted himself in a holy and sincere way in a holy and sincere way, especially in regard to his time with the Corinthians. He has lived in a simple and godly way. But he makes it clear that those character traits, well, they haven't come from him and his own great abilities. No, it's holiness and sincerity that are from God. And he's done all this in a way which isn't full of worldly wisdom, that looks all impressive and complicated, like that of the super apostles, but rather all that he has said and done as he has led and guided this church has been done, end of verse 12, according to God's grace. We can trust Paul because unlike us and unlike those Corinthian super apostles, when when Paul boasts, he doesn't look to big himself up. Rather, he always looks to big God up. Paul's boast in God, Paul's boast is in God, who enables him to live and to lead with a sincerity and a holiness and a simplicity that is worth trusting. Secondly, then, an unbreakable promise worth trusting, verse 15 to 20. Promises and trust go hand in hand, don't they? just as lies and mistrust also go hand in hand. But a promise is only as good as 
the person who's making it. We're much less likely to trust the promise of a politician or a forceful salesperson than we are to trust the promise of a lifelong friend. Here, Paul is saying, you can trust me, not because, hey, it's me, Paul. No, you can trust me because I am a mouthpiece of God. Just as God spoke in the Old Testament through the mouths of the prophets, in the same way, he speaks through Paul. So again, when it comes down to it, it's not so much a question of whether or not we can trust the promises of Paul. It's a question of whether or not we can trust the promises of God. And Paul wonderfully answers that question here in these verses. The Corinthians are wondering on the back of his change in travel plans if Paul is someone that Katy Perry might sing about. You're hot, then you're cold, you're yes, then you're no, you're in, then you're out, you're up and you're down. The song is still going on. Are Paul's promises as reliable as a non-committal boyfriend? Have a look at verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in, in him it has always been yes. God's promises are always kept, always yes, in Jesus. Later this term, in the build-up to Christmas, there it is again, we're going to be running a series in the morning services. We'll, we'll be zooming in on uh, the Old Testament promises given by God. Each week we'll see how each of those promises are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. From that, we'll be able to say with Paul here in verse 20 that no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. Someone has gone to the effort of counting all the promises that God makes through the entirety of the Bible, and there are apparently, check this out, 5,467 promises from God. It's staggering, isn't it? Each and every one of those are answered in Jesus, and their answer is a resounding yes. The heel that would crush Satan's head, the seed of Abraham, the stump of Jesse, the true king, the great high priest, the rescuer of God's people, it's Jesus. The yes to God's many promises. If you ever doubt God, if you ever doubt God's word, doubt God speaking through Paul, then just look to the cross. At the cross, we see that God keeps all of his promises. It's at the cross that we have an unbreakable promise worth trusting. That's Paul's message, and that's why the Corinthians could trust him, and that's why we can too. But if God has proved faithful to his ancient promises, then he has also proved faithful to his present dealings with the Corinthians and also with us. Take a look at verse 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, <clears throat> set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians as a people 
who have heard and responded to the gospel assures them that God himself will keep them in a relationship with him. That phrase in verse 21, makes us and stand firm, was used in business law to signify a seller's guarantee to honour a contract. So getting our heads around this, what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that God enters into an unbreakable promise with us and that it is God himself who is the guarantee of our salvation. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? He sets uh, the Holy Spirit as his seal. He seals the deal with himself, the Holy Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit is a seal, the type of seal that you might find on a letter. I've used this illustration before, but I really think it is very helpful in understanding what Paul is saying here. A seal on a letter would serve two functions, to preserve the letter until it reached the person that it was sent to, and also to inform anyone who sees it who this letter is from. It's the same with us and God. If we repent and believe in him, then we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are preserved and kept safe as Christians until we reach our Father in heaven. And we also bear his name. The Spirit is God's stamp on our hearts and it sets us aside as his. So, God is both the promise-keeping God and the God who promises to keep us. I think it's really important to get our heads around, so I'll say that again. God is both the promise-keeping God and the God who promises to keep us. And in a world where dishonesty and mistrust are a part of our everyday lives, the good news of a God who is completely faithful leads us to a place where we can unswervingly trust his messenger, Paul. How can I trust Paul? How can I trust what the Bible says? Recognize that we have a God who will never, ever let us down who we never ever need to doubt. A God who is completely trustworthy to all his promises, including the promise to keep us going as Christians until we reach him in glory. This evening is all about trust. We've seen that we can trust Paul because he doesn't boast about himself. He boasts about God and his grace We've seen that we can trust Paul because he doesn't go back and forth on his word. Rather, he speaks from God, who always keeps his promises. But maybe you're here this evening and you've heard all of that and you still have your doubts. If you're anything like me, when someone has let you down, when someone has hurt you, disappointed you, you wonder, how could they do that to you? Don't they care? Do they have any regard to how you feel? For the Corinthians, who may well have been feeling that, we see in chapter 1, verse 23, to chapter 2, verse 4, a genuine love worth trusting. You may have read some of Paul's writings in the past, and for you, it may feel like he comes across as quite direct, quite brutal, and not all that loving. Paul the guy who lays down how Christians should live in regards to sex and relationships. He's the guy who directs the church in questions around leadership, etc. But love? Well, look at these verses with me and see Paul's motives. Verse 23. 
I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. He changed his plans. Paul changed his plans so as to spare the Corinthians. Evidently, the pain of his first visit was still very much ongoing, and to return in such a short space of time would only reopen the wounds that were still, still healing. There's a real compassion here. In verse 2 of chapter 2, we see that Paul is so invested in his relationship with the Corinthians that he, did, that he doesn't want to grieve them, to upset them, and to hurt them. Because they are the ones who bring him joy. In all that he is doing, Paul is working for their joy. There's this wonderful picture here, almost of a husband and a wife, where the husband loves his wife so much that he doesn't want to hurt her, because if she's upset, then he will be too. Her joy is his joy, and he works to bring joy into her life. The Apostle Paul seeks to bring the joy of the gospel to the church he greatly loves. And if you doubt that love, then have a look at verse 5. This is great. For I wrote to you out of a great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Great distress, anguish of heart, many tears. This is not a man who carelessly lets down the Corinthians. No, here is a man who has great depths of love for his fellow believers a love that directs him to act and speak in the way that he does. It's this genuine love that enables us to trust Paul, even when the truths that we read are hard truths. We know that they are ultimately there for our joy and come from a place of great love. When we see Paul in this light, a man who boasts only in God, who speaks with the trustworthiness of God's unbreakable promises, a man who loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. When we see him as he truly is, then we are enabled to respond to God's word appropriately, knowing that it is for our good, our joy, knowing that we can fully trust it. Last week, as Rob spoke to us uh, on the God of all comfort. We recognised Paul's sufferings. And in doing so, we were pointed to the ultimate sufferer, Christ, who died for us on the cross. And this week, it's the same pattern. As we fully uh, appreciate Paul's great love for the church, we are very clearly pointed to Jesus and his unswerving, unending love for his bride, the church. In Jesus, we see the one who works for our eternal joy, the one who weeps for the lost and rejoices with those who trust in him. In Jesus, we see the ultimate boast in God. As he he breathed his last nailed to that cross, God's love was declared to the world. This evening, as we remind ourselves that we can trust Paul, that we can trust God's word, 
we're reminded that we can only trust at all because of Jesus' great love and sacrifice for us. As we close, a practical note on how we can move on from hurt. As we look at the closing verses in our passage, we see that they are grounded in the reality of church life. If you've been in St. Mary's or any church for pretty much any amount of time, you'll know that it's great, but it's not heaven. And there will be issues that arise. Here in these verses, Paul offers practical advice in how to, uh, how to deal with individuals when issues arise. But underlying everything that he says in these verses is the call to be forgiving towards one another. We've recognised, haven't we, how hurtful and hard it can be when we feel let down. Here, Paul gives us the call to forgive those who have disappointed us, who have really hurt us. Why would we forgive? Well, because of our loving Saviour, because he has forgiven us. How can we forgive? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit in us, who is God's seal in our lives, who keeps us till glory and enables us to love as God loves us. This is how we can move past hurt and disappointment, by following in the footsteps of our forgiving Father. A passage full of detail, but underlying it all is that clear call to trust God's word, to trust God's messenger Paul, and to forgive those who let us down in light of the forgiveness that we have received. As we leave here tonight in a few moments' time, and as we carry on in 2 Corinthians in the weeks to come in the evening, service, evening services, let us be confident in God's word that it truly is trustworthy. Let me pray. Father God, in a world where we can doubt so many things, where we can doubt even ourselves, help us to find great peace and joy in the fact that we never need doubt you, that we never need doubt your word. Help us in that wonderful, freeing knowledge to treasure your word, to read it as the light to our lives that it is. Amen.